1: Good morning and welcome to Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged. I'm your host, your civics teacher and neighborhood political strategist, L.J. Williams. And I am so glad that you made it to class this morning. I have a wonderful guest to bring to the front of the class later this show. It is Majority Whip Congressional Member James Clyburn. I have been wanting to talk to him for a very long time. And it's been months in the making, but we finally made it happen, given that all that was happening over the past couple of months, it is understandable. But he made it a point, his team made it a point to circle back once his schedule would allow. And I'm so incredibly grateful to them and to him for the conversation we were able to squeeze in today. So I hope you enjoy that conversation a bit later. And I am coming to you this morning from the lovely Des Moines, Iowa. It's my first time i visiting Iowa and shout out to the Des Moines NAACP who brought me uh, here to Iowa for their Freedom Fund dinner I was a keynote for their annual dinner last night. And it was wonderful. It was the first, it's the first time that they have really gathered in person for a large event since the pandemic. Organizations are still, you know, planning or implementing some of their first large large in-person events they may have been organizing or doing things both on Zoom and in small meetings here and there but for a number of people it's the first time that they are gathering together and I was it was so lovely to join them last evening and really to be here this entire time I got an opportunity you know, to spend some time sort of walking around and breathing the air, if you will, here in Iowa. So shout out to the entire team. And hopefully, um, you'll get to hear some of the conversations um, that I had while I was here. It's very, very delightful. And we'll be sharing some of that along the way. And it's, you know, Freedom Fund season for NAACP. Shout out to all of you NAACPers. Brooklyn NAACP. We're celebrating our centennial freedom fund on December 15th. So if you you know, you in the Brooklyn area, you in the Tri-State area, and you want to come celebrate with me and my branch members as we're celebrating our centennial over a hundred years of activism in Brooklyn. It's December 15th. You can go to the Brooklyn NAACP website and get a take it and join us. It'll be a festive, wonderful, wonderful evening. And I am looking forward to that on December 15th and celebrating the amazing history that Brooklyn NAACP has and just uncovering all of the actions that the branch was engaged in over its more than 100 years. Even though we're celebrating our centennial, the branch was actually began the workings of organizing back in 1914, but we didn't get chartered until 1922. But to read all of that history, and some of you have heard me talk about it before, it's just it's just an amazing, amazing experience to do that. Now, some of the things that I am gearing up for, and I wanted to share this, and I'll share a little bit more about this after we talk with Majority Whip Clyburn, is just looking ahead into 2023 and you know, what we've experienced through this last election cycle, but also what we're experiencing as a people. And when I say a people, yes, I mean Black people, but I also mean the collective American people, what we are experiencing because we are a people within people, a body politic, if you will. And being uh, a student of history... And looking at the time period after Reconstruction ends, you know I talk about this period, I talk about the Reconstruction period a lot, but also talk about this period afterwards where now Black people are left to all of these mobs mob violence that's happening across the country and it will continue to happen for some time but at the same time black people are trying to rebuild communities or build communities overall they are trying to educate and build schools and universities that will uplift their people again you know, enslavement is, you know, not too far, you know, from where they were. And they were able to build all of this structure. At the same time, what is happening? There is this revisionist history that is happening as it pertains to the Civil War, where you have this racist, revisionist history of how the Civil War and why the Civil War was fought. And you begin to idolize or people begin to idolize those who fought in, the, in that war and who were on the side of those enslavers. And it's systematic what are they doing? They're creating their own educational societies. They're penetrating state legislatures and local communities. And, you know, uh, the Ku Klux Klan is uh, ravishing throughout the country. And it's eerily reminiscent Of where we are in this space in our country today. And, you know, like we know, history repeats itself. And so, if it's going to repeat itself, the task that we have on hand is one, to study that history, to see what happened, to see how we can take from it, how we can take the things that we were able to build and develop and protect ourselves and our communities as much as possible. But then also, where were our failures? Where were our blind spots? So that we can protect and basically create a hedge around our communities and around our people. That is the space that I'm in in this December, this last couple of weeks before the new year is reviewing that history right because I don't want it to be lost and I want to share that with you and I want you to share that not only with the organizations and the people that you lead but also share that with your children so there is no disconnect again right in sharing the stories that yes share the resiliency yes share what we built economically socially edu- in terms of our education but then look at our blind spots Right. We certainly are in a different position than we were in the early 1900s in that period. We have a number of black elected officials, not only in Congress at the federal level, but all the way down to the local level. We didn't have that before. Yes, we had some. But after a couple of years, they were completely out of elected leadership on the local level and certainly on the federal level. So what do we do? now that we have this tool, these resources, that we didn't have during that time period. Now we have elected officials from the federal level on the bench, all the way down to the local level. What is your role? Those of you who are in elected office, what is your role and what is what can we do to make sure we create that not only hedge of protection around our communities and around our people, but then also how do we build up from there, right? And I believe that Majority Whip Clyburn is gonna talk a little bit about some of that role so listen attentively to that. But then what are some of our other things we can look at? Well, you know, we had, as we were building, you know, some of our own towns and our own communities, again, trying to create a hedge of protection around our people and around our communities. What opportunities do we have to do that now? Certainly, I'm not one who wants to preach uh, separatism and saying that we need to be wholly and completely separate from other entities in this country. But what is something? something that we can do that is like that i look to education right looking at the education structure in um, our communities where, yes, our leadership may reflect us and look like us in the schools, but look at our numbers, right? Look at our children's numbers. Are they reading at level? And, And to think about it, how can people who were a stone's throw from enslavement get to the literacy levels that they were able to get to? To be able to send their children, right? They themselves either enslaved or children of enslaved being able to increase literacy in their communities dramatically, being a stone's throw from enslavement, from oppression in that way. And they were able to transform educational attainment. And then look at us now and the resources that we have now with the internet, with more people with college degrees, with more people in higher educational attainment and economic attainment attainment. How can we replicate that? How can we replicate that? And what tools and resources can those in elected office, can those in economic levels of power be able to support those opportunities that we can provide our children, right? And that will further create an economic base while also creating a hedge of protection around our communities. And it's difficult for me to think about how we have this increased representation, not only in elected office, but in business and in art and culture and all this other kind of stuff is so difficult for me, for us to celebrate those individual achievements and still know that we have thousands of people who are left behind and we do not have a mindset, collective mindset to be able to lift everybody up with us. Right? This this you know, this thought that we have to go get ours and forget everybody else, you know, that is a a byproduct of buying into this corporate America, Americanized ideal. We don't come from that. We come from we We come from thinking about the collective. So let's go back to thinking the way in which we came from and thinking about that. Get back to the we. Get back to the we, those of you who are in elected office. It's not just what you want to individually attain, what position you want to individually attain. Get back to the we of how we improve and how we bring others with us. That is the legacy that we have. And so we can, yes, be of this American experiment, but not lose our collective identity in thinking about the we. And that's my focus for 2023, is not just my individual, my family's well, economic and educational well-being, but how can I make sure that every family in Brooklyn... Right. Just talking about the purview I have. How can I make sure that everybody has that opportunity? Everybody has the ramp they need to get to the opportunity. Everybody has the resources they need to flourish in that opportunity. Right. That equity that's needed. Right. What ramps are needed, what legislation is needed, what guide, what resources are needed for people to get to their Um, goals and that their family can reach to to their potential as well. And that's what we got to think about for 2023. It's not just about winning individual state houses, winning governorships, and, you know, ultimately winning president, right? It's also about how we can collectively build a hedge around our communities, build a hedge around our community, uh, our people, and ensure that we can get back to that collective we. That's where we come from. That is our legacy. And that's what we must turn back to. So when we come back, I'm going to talk to Majority Whip James Clyburn. He's going to continue on leadership in the next Congress, but he will not be Majority Whip. But he has some jewels to drop for us to get back to that collective we as well. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Stay tuned.
0: all the problems all the things that you think that you must do to start in this world like when the t-shirt schoolboy and schoolgirl come together who is the t-shirt i go let
1: you welcome know. back to sunday civics i'm your host L. Joy williams and joining us at the front of the class for the very first time is congressman james cliburn of course the house majority whip as the former President Barack Obama has said. He is one of the few people that when he speaks Congress listens and we have an opportunity to talk to him this morning. He was first elected to Congress back in 1992 and he has served in numerous leadership positions so there is no one better to talk to about the next Congress but also about a number of issues about leadership in Um, our communities, what we should be focused on in the next coming year, and also how Congress can address the needs of people in rural communities and uh, communities all across the country. Congressman Clyburn, thank you so very much for taking an opportunity to speak with us this morning.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: You know, uh, I have been waiting to have a conversation with you for some time. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't think of anybody better, given your service to Congress, to the people of South Carolina, to level set for us the role that Congress plays, but also to talk about rural politics and infrastructure and a number of different things. I couldn't think of anybody better to talk to about that. But I want to start where we ask every guest to start where you could share the story with us of your first civic action?
0: Well, it all depends, I guess, how you define that. My earliest memory uh, of uh, getting involved uh, outside of my home uh, was when I was elected president of my NWSP Youth Council uh, at the age of 12. Uh, And that all came out of uh, my activities of my family uh, around Brown v. Board of Education, which started uh, as big VA in the little town of Summerton, South Carolina. And we formed a youth council of the NAACP that was very active. And I was elected president of that youth council. And uh, aside from that, uh, I remember uh, passing out uh, back in 1952. Uh, Little buttons. I like Ike. That may surprise a lot of people uh, because uh, Dwight Eisenhower uh, was a Republican president, uh, but I grew up in a Republican family. Uh, Most Black people back then uh, were Republicans. They were members of the party of Lincoln. Uh, And it was not until after uh, the 1964 passage uh, of the Civil Rights Act that you had this massive exodus uh, of white people leaving the Democratic Party, and many of them came over into the Republican Party and took the party away uh, from Black folks. Uh, they just kind of pushed them out of the party. Now that's a fact. So when people start talking today about saying, well, you know, uh, back then those were Democrats, uh, Strom Thurmond was a Democrat uh, doing all that, Yes, but when the Democratic Party decided it was going the way of civil rights in 1948, Harry Truman uh, integrated the armed services with an executive order. Strom Thurmond left the party and formed the states' rights party. Uh, But Democrats stayed focused and went on to pass the 64 uh, Civil Rights Act and the 65 Voting Rights Act the 68 Fair Housing Law, these things, uh, the Democratic Party started relating to the dreams and aspirations of African-Americans. And that's how we all became uh, part of the Democratic Party. And those people who were in the Democratic Party, who did not like civil rights being on the agenda, they left and went over to the Republican Party. So when you see what you're seeing today, it all started back in 1948. And that's a fact.
1: I love that bit of history and put it into context for folks. And, you know, your family in South Carolina, my family's from North Carolina and migrated up here to the North and have some of that similar story where my parents, grandparents were Republicans, those who were engaged in, and and voted during that time. And I remember my grandmother, who I'm named after, talking about Ike. <laughs> you know, she was an oh, Ike yeah you know Absolutely. so uh, <laughs> that's what she would later say i'm an ike democrat meaning that she voted for uh, uh eisenhower before but, uh, you know moving forward you know right. she had moved her politics to a different post that she would say right you know what we are seeing those of us who follow the cable news over the last Week or so, obviously, since the election, there has been a lot of conversation about the shifting leadership changes in Congress. And all of that sounds a lot, you know, those of us who are strategists and consultants, you know, get into the thick and the details of who's leader now and what does that mean. But, you know, given your experience and your history in Congress, can you explain to those who are, you know, back in districts in their homes, What does it mean in terms of the leadership in Congress? What role does that play in helping to move legislation and helping to set what the goals and the communications platform and all of that? It it seems a bit disconnected to people and whether or not that helps move the ideas and the issues that they want to see. Can you put that into context for us?
0: Well, I hope I can. You know, uh, I think that people uh, should stay focused on what their dreams and aspirations are. Uh, And uh, everybody wants to see their government uh, develop programs and priorities that will help them achieve their individual dreams and aspirations, that will help them uh, provide for their families that would help them improve their communities. And if that's your focus, then you should focus on candidates that can best help get that done. And if you look at the party apparatus, how do you put in place the leadership of a party that will help that? And so you see uh, the Democratic Party here uh, in Washington, the Democratic Caucus, uh, in a transformational mode, and we are uh, about to turn over leadership come January 3rd uh, of our uh, caucus, the Hakeem Jeffries. But we have to keep all of in perspective. Hakeem is 52 years old and becoming the leader of our party. I was 52 years old when I got elected to Congress not because I was waiting until I got to be 52 years old, but because the laws of South Carolina did not allow me to get elected until I was 52 years old. My dad never got a college degree simply because the laws of South Carolina did not allow him to get a college degree because it didn't even allow him to get a high school diploma. And when he went, to study and passed a college proficiency exam and was allowed to enter college. He was not allowed to graduate from college because he did not have a high school diploma and the state law in South Carolina required that in order to get a college degree. So these laws that people had to live under like your parents, they're in North Carolina and my parents in South Carolina, are laws that we need to think about as we th- start thinking about the future. So how do we keep this progress going? I see it in, uh, for black folks, I see it uh, in Hakeem Jeffries. I see it in people like Joe for black folks. I see it uh, in Pete uh, Aguilar uh, for Latinas. And it's there in Catherine Clark when it comes to women. So that's what our part is all about. And so I think that what we have to be careful of, you don't just elect people to party uh, to a leadership based upon their age. They have to demonstrate capacity and demonstrate a certain degree uh, of skill as well. And it's called sort of biblical to me. If you look in the Bible, you will find uh, scripture saying the young are called because of their strength. Uh, The older because of their knowledge. There must be a, I call a combination, a blending of knowledge and strength uh, in order to get things done.
1: That's uh, very well uh, focus for us to follow going into this next congressional or going into this next year, not only in Congress over in the Senate, but also in state legislatures and municipal governments, which we'll see some of that election happening this coming year. You know, I read your book. And one of the things that I like repeating often is something that you said your father said, that people would rather see a sermon than hear one. And the legislation where uh, that was recently passed in this congress that was focused specifically on poverty and i believe it's your persistent poverty formula oh, yeah. and this is one aspect wherein which you can take policy and legislation and have it have a direct effect on people's everyday experience. I'd like to highlight that, um, for you to highlight okay. that and use that as an example of how you can take policy and legislation and really transform regions and areas in this instance in, in, in the rural South and using what you mentioned and being able to take policy and legislation and make some real concrete change.
0: Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up. Look. The Census Bureau makes a determination every year. Uh, they update every year. They have a big census every 10 years, but they update it annually. And they evaluate things. They look at demographics. And s- long time ago, the Census Bureau came to the conclusion that we are plagued in this country uh, with some uh, areas they call persistent poverty counties, persistent poverty. Now, they said a persistent poverty county. is a county where 20% or more of the population has been stuck beneath the poverty level for 30 years. Now, when you look at that, and you say, what do we do to break this cycle? So, meeting with my staff, we were getting ready to do the so-called Recovery Act back in 2009, Uh, I said, look, let's ask uh, the Congress uh, to focus on these counties and get money directly to these counties because these counties were not getting money because they were not raising money. They could not afford the uh, to hire these high-class, uh, uh, what we call branch writers, who knew how to, who, who know how to write grants, uh, and but you have to pay them to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, they shouldn't have to do that. Why don't we look at just saying, if you're in that category, you ought to benefit from these funds. So that's where that formula came up from. So we said, well, at least 10% of all the money that we're putting in this category ought to be spent in those counties where 20% or more of the population been stuck beneath the poverty level for 30 years. 10% of the money where 20% of the population been stuck beneath the poverty level for 30 years. That's where that formula comes from. And uh, we adopted it. They said, well, we've never done that before. So well, let's try it. And we adopted in four uh, of the accounts of the appropriations bill. Today, they're in 22 programs and 15 accounts. And we've already passed a law here in on the House side to put it in permanent law. And I've been trying to get the Senate they follow suit, they probably won't. But someday we'll get the rest of it done. So that's, to me, is how you do it. Now, I noticed that the other day uh, someone wrote that this is a real good approach to the old issue of reparations. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. And that's why I uh, say to people all the time, why get hung up On the term, do you want to have the label, or do you want to have the contents? And that's why we we lose so much up here. The kids say, well, we need to call it that. Reminds me of my younger days when I was in the governor's office, and we were creating this new agency to deal uh, with discrimination and want to do it at the state level. And so the governor, John West at the time, says, I want to create this agency. I'm going to call it the Human Affairs Commission. As of a governor, uh, people won't understand that. We need to call it the, the Civil Rights Commission, or, or, or let's call it the Human Rights Commission. The governor says, do you want us to fight over a name, or do you want us to create a program to deal with the problem? Because I'm not going to get the votes I need if I call it the civil rights agency, but if I call it a human affairs agency, don't even use the term rights. Put all that in the body of the legislation, but the title would be human affairs commission. We did that in 1972. The agency still exists today. And so that's why we have to uh, really look at what it is we're trying to do and not worry about what we call it. And I can point to other things. I'm doing things now with legislation. The Washington Post just came out endorsing the concept that I've come up with uh, along with Seth Moulton uh, uh, up, uh, up in Massachusetts. And this deals with soldiers that came back from World War II and were denied the GI Bill never got homes, and never got education that the GI Bill provided for white soldiers. And so we came up uh, with this legislation. The Washington Post has endorsed the concept now saying this is a good form of reparations. And that's what it is. But people said, well, we ought to call it reparations. No, we ought to get it done. And you call it what you want to.
1: Yeah, you can call it that afterwards. We need to get it done first <laughs> and get the people the help first. You know, to that point in talking about the persistent poverty formula, you know, I, I, I always want to lift that up because it is a great example of both political um, and legislative action that actually gets to the heart of the matter <laughs> And having all of these structures, as you mentioned, you know, regions have to have grant writers and lobbyists in order to get funding that they are paying taxes into and need support from their government. Why not just give them the support that's necessary for them to actually operate? And it seems, as you mentioned, a lot of that is concentrated in the South, right? We can look on a map. And look at the red blotches if you plot you know, those areas out. Those counties are in the South. What should those, those organizations, those people, those state legislators, or municipal folks in those areas, what should they be looking to next in terms of being able to use some of that funding to be implemented in their communities?
0: I think the first thing we have to do is make sure that people understand something that seem not to understand the majority of Black folks in this country still live in the South. But for some reason, uh, people want to talk about inner city youth and act as if you got to be talking about Los Angeles, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago. Well, the fact of the matter is, I have always said that Much of our urban problems exists because of a failure of rural policies. If we focus on these persistent poverty counters, if we put the money in to these communities to put the water and sewage in that's needed, to build the schools that are required, you will then create a base. Water and sewage attracts industry. And when industry comes, you get a tax base that allows you to build schools. And when you build schools, you educate your communities. And the jobs that come with the water and sewage, these young people will find jobs in those communities and they don't have to go out looking uh, for the promised land. That's why we had the big migration back in the 1930s, because they were refusing to put money in these communities where Black people live. That's why you see me fighting so hard for broadband in rural communities, fighting so hard for, for community health federally qualified community health centers in rural communities. Because if you build up the communities, People want clean, safe drinking water. People want their children to get a good, solid education. And people want their communities to be developed. And that's why everybody focused on when I was talking to Joe Biden about uh, running this campaign, everybody started talking about the uh, putting the black woman on the Supreme Court. That was important to me. But I also said to President Biden at the time, I said, look, let's zero in on what your proposal will do for each individual, what it will do for each family, what it will do for each community. You you as a person, you as a member of this family, and you as a member of this community. That is what people really want out of their government. And the the extent to which we focus on that, which we did in this past election, putting people over politics, it will determine how much success we will have. And then not enough people saw it early enough for us to do what we could have done. We could have maintained our control of the House. When people figured it out, uh, it was a bit late. But so rather than losing 60 seats that was projected, we lost about six. That's the difference.
1: Yeah. Well, Jardi Webb, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk to us about this really important focus. The last thing I, I, I would ask you is because given your history, you served in state leadership, as you mentioned, you served in office, you served in as a commissioner and others, as we go to, as our people are advocating on their state level and local level, as that money, as you're talking about, is trickling down. You know, two states, two municipalities going into 2023, where, you know, there may not be the majority in the House, but looking at up opportunities that might exist in the on the state level or even in the Senate, what would your advice well, be to people as they are organizing locally?
0: Well, I would say to uh, people at the local level, let's focus on the, let's look at these school boards races, let's look at these legislative seats. City councils and county commissions. That's what we do. We tend to focus and get involved when there's a presidential election. No president ever to your school board. <laughs> but your school board—that's where these decisions are being made. Taking books out of the schools, whitewashing history. You need to focus on these school boards. My youngest daughter is on my local school board, and I talk to her about this all the time. And I think that we have to get engaged at these local communities. That's what they're doing all over now, trying to tick over these school boards. Why? Because they want to whitewash the history. They want to talk about critical race theory. What kind of critical race theory? It ain't no theory that people like Thomas Edison, when he invented the light bulb, couldn't make it work. And he couldn't get the light bulb to work until they got Louis Adam's filament, Louis Latimer, the son of former slaves, created the filament that Thomas Edison put in his light bulb that made it work. That's not a theory. That's a fact. And these kind of facts are there. And so what we've got to say uh, to our young people especially, let's focus on where the problems are. Let's don't let these people... Take over all these school boards. Take over these city councils and these county commissions and these legislative seats while we worry about who the next president is going to be. Because that president ain't going to your school board meeting.
1: Thank you so very much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much for having me. How can it be
1: that you love the Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I'm L. Joy Williams, your civics teacher. And we just had a wonderful conversation with Majority Whip James Clyburn, who represents the 6th Congressional District in South Carolina and has a very long history of leadership, not only elected leadership in Congress, but leadership in the state of South Carolina and in his local community. And it was a great conversation a great opportunity as he sort of focused on the distractions or he talked about the distractions that can sometimes happen where we're focused on the name of the thing. We're focused on, it has to be, (laughs) (coughs) 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 well, we're focused on, you know, I'll say it where people are like, but what is it specifically for black people that nobody else can benefit from as well? Again, we don't like why do we have to focus on things that are specifically only earmarked for us and not how we can use the laws of this country, the policies of our local communities, local agencies and others to bend toward the will of what is necessary for the people and the families in our communities to live and thrive. So this this is your next homework, right? Even for those of us who believe in reparations, as I do, who believe in restorative justice practices, who believe in all those things. Yes, we continue. We continue the fight for some of these things. But then also let's look at Let's look at the agencies and the, the charges that some of these local and state agencies have and how can we use those programs, those services, those policies, those representatives in those particular agencies and other institutions to be able to get to our goal, Right? So in New York City, we don't have school boards. In New York City, we have you know community education councils, we have parent-led teams, we have all of these other entities, a lot of bureaucratic entities, <laughs> if I must say so. And even at the Department of Education, there's a lot of lot of different agency and bureaucracies and things of that nature. How can we use those various structures to improve the education environment for our children? How can we do that? right? All of these, you know, separate little teams and agencies that exist. Let's look at their missions and what they're supposed to do and how we can make that work for our communities. Again, no one is saying to completely abandon the overall, you know, goal of freedom and justice and equity and equality for no one don't you don't have to abandon that. But what tools and resources do you have at your disposal in order to get to your goal? When you are blindfolded, when you are, you know, handcuffed or restrained in any position, right? And sometimes you're watching these movies of people are bound, they're blind or things like that. They're feeling around for a tool or something that they can use to break free. Right now, the ideal situation, like you know, is to oh, let me find the actual key to unlock these handcuffs, right? But there may not be no key. I can't find it. I'm blindfolded, my hands are bounded, or my oppressor has that key. What else can I use in this immediate term to get free? Just think, just think about that. We've all seen these kinds of things in, in movies. Right. Rather than looking for the key, you know, I'm looking for it. Only the key can set me free. Mm, No, maybe not. Maybe I can use this rock. Maybe I can, you know, use these other tools that I'm feeling around for to do the immediate thing of me freeing my hand. So then I can get to the next step of getting out of the place and getting out of the material condition that I am. So let's look around. Let's feel around for the tools that are around us in our communities, in our state, in our uh, federal government, all of these different agencies and other bureaucracies that exist. Feel around for the tools. And what can I use to address the immediate condition that my community and that my people are in? It may be using the school board. It may be using the budget. It may be using an agency, a state agency, in order to invest resources in, in building infrastructure around our community. It may be using the resources of a local government to take over or to completely invest in our school's infrastructure. It may be taking over or going into a job corps or these job development sites and saying how can we use this entity this program this service to immediately get people back to work because people can't pay into or can't uplift or support their communities if they don't have employment and so what resources exist to immediately get people into employment so that they can provide for their families right what feel around feel around at the resources that are uh, around you that exist right now. And we're not abandoning the overall fight. We still got to get out to freedom. But you got to unbound your hands. You got to take the blindfold off. And in order to do that, you need to feel around at what resources are around you. Use those resources to immediately change the immediate conditions that people have the immediate conditions that people are in so that we can get to the larger goal. So I'm not abandoning the overall ideal. But I am feeling around here in Brooklyn, here in New York City, here in the state of New York, or even on the federal level on what, what resources exist that I can use that we can bend to um, our will to change the immediate conditions that people may find themselves in, that our people may find themselves in, so that we can continue to organize and build and get to the next step and to the ultimate goal. That's our charge. At least that's my charge to you as we go into 2023 in these last couple of weeks, right? It may seem, you know, from whether it's state legislatures, maybe you... <clears throat> lost state legislatures. Maybe your candidates didn't win on the state level. Didn't win the gubernatorial race. You know we lost, or at least from my perspective, we lost the house. We maintained the senate and the federal level at some well. But you know I have leadership on the local level and all of the stuff that we can work with. I can make relationships and and deals that benefit overall because I'm speaking to the immediate conditions that our community are in. In right now. And that's what we have to do. That is our charge. If you are in a leadership position right now, that is our charge. To feel around and to look for the resources at our disposal right now in order to build those ramps of opportunities, in order to create that hedge of protection around our communities and our people as. People continue to be crazy out in these streets. And we don't know how much further it will go. But what we do have control over is our own actions and our own ability to harness resources. And we've done this before. We have a history and a tradition of doing this with smaller <laughs> Access to resources, smaller access to resources. Just think about the resources that we have now. But it requires us having a mindset of the collective we. It requires us to think about the resources that we have access to in a different way. And as we continue and march towards that overall goal, to speak to the conditions that our people and our communities are in now. I, I said to whip Clyburn, I liked from his book, you know, that reminder. And I think he's also said it in speeches and other things when he's talked about his talked about his father that people would like to experience a sermon rather to hear it. And we have access and resources That we can help people experience the sermon of equity, of inclusion, of educational attainment, of economic attainment. We have the ability to make that happen for people with the knowledge that we have, with the history that we have. And that is... charge going into this next year. So I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to the show this week and continuing to listen and being inspired by, you know, just what I'd like to share here on Sunday Civics. We'll be back next Sunday. In fact, we'll be back a whole nother year because shout out to Karen Hunter and the Sirius XM team who has graciously asked and, you know, I will be on Sirius XM Urban View for a whole nother year. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the space to be able to talk, inspire, educate and activate those of you who listen to this show every Sunday. Feel free as I'm looking to plan the next year. You know, what do you want to learn about? What do you want to know more about? And we will bring those. Uh, lessons, those opportunities, those conversations to you here on Sunday Civics, on Sunday mornings. Give me a shout on Twitter, for those of you who still use it. You see, I'm kind of, you know, not as much as more, but, you know, feel free to give me a shout on social media. I will see it at some point. Or email me, joy at sundaycivics.org, and give your suggestions of guests, including yourself. You may be organizing and doing that work of the collective we I I want us to share those stories of what is going on, the activism and the community that is happening all across the country. So feel free to pitch yourself and your community and the work that's being done. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with more of Sunday Civics.